Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? All right, we're here on a beautiful Monday night. We're still locked down. We still can't do shit. But we've got another excellent guest for you tonight. Member of Philly Mainstays, Creepoid, Lovelorn, and the infamous Plaque Marks, Mr. Pat Troxel. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. What's up, Pat? How you living? How you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Awesome. How about um, yourself? You guys chilling? Yeah, man, every day chilling. I, I work from home, so not too much has changed. I work. I play a lot of video games. I do this podcast with Tommy. Uh, you know, any, anything I can do to, to keep myself occupied. I hear that. Yeah. How about you, Tommy? What? How you doing? Nothing changes for me, man. I just do the same shit. I like I teach in the morning now, so like uh, I'm I'm done with like all essential teaching stuff by like ten thirty in the morning. Uh, oh. So the rest of my morning is just helping my daughters get through their schoolwork, uh, and then today was skateboarding and uh, sidewalk chalk and hanging the fuck out <laughs> did some yard work and like literally just chilled outside it was nice out so it was like might as well be outside um, yeah i didn't go outside once today so i don't even know what the temperature is oh um, it was beautiful it was like yeah. kind of cloudy in the morning but like it, the girls did most of their schoolwork sitting on the front steps like just the, out in the sun it was really really nice yeah so pat do you have any other job besides music um I mean, technically, I, I don't really call it a job. It's more of a passion. Um, mm -hmm. I, I sell weed. So, oh. uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, so you're still getting by it, probably uh, in this in, in yeah, this pandemic. This economy doesn't fuck you up. You just it, ever, this is more. There's more demand for your shit then. Uh, it's interesting. I, I try to keep my circle small. So like, yeah. uh, it's not like the business is booming. But uh, let's just say uh, my close friends always have really good bud. Oh, there cool. you go. Yeah, that's excellent. So you got <laughs> yeah. that going on. Any other any other passion projects that uh, can net you some money? <laughs> well, uh, I I still book book venues for a living. So unfortunately, I'm I'm out of work because of that. You know, like I'm uh, I, right before this went down. You know, I, I was touring, but I was also booking uh, Ortlieb's uh, full time and like a couple other venues. So. Uh, oh. Yeah, so I'm just on the I'm sitting on my hands right now waiting for it to come back so I can actually start booking again, you know. Yeah, and every everyone we've talked to it looks like 2020 might be done for music. Have have you had heard any indication of things perhaps picking back up later this year? Uh I mean, I kind of agree with that. It's it's kind of how it's looking, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if by the you know, the end of the summer small clubs are back open. Like I don't mm -hmm. see I don't see like then use like underground arts or the factory coming back until like the fall, you know, but yeah. guess, you know, places like Kunk Necktie and Ort Leaves and Boot and Saddle, they'll probably be back by the summer, but it's going to be like way smaller capacity and just like ran a lot different, you know, but yeah, uh, 
But uh, I mean, from what it looks like, a lot of the bands, the touring bands that I'm talking to, especially like local touring bands, they kind of just are waiting for the, you know, okay. And as soon as it comes through, like they know that they're going to be playing smaller shows and smaller clubs to like get by right now. And like we're aware of it too. So everyone's trying to kind of like helping each other. But uh, yeah, I'm fully into it because it's kind of setting the restart button and like all the people who did this job half-assed are all bailing out. So like, that's cool. But yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. Is like, this is the one that's going to separate the, like the real, the real deal people from like the fucking shit kicker. Like, this yeah, is, like yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Like the ones who have honest mental problems like uh, myself. That, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it should be interesting. Like I was, I was even talking about this the other day. Like, I wonder how many bands like, like half-ass weekend dad bands are gonna be like, nah, dude. Like, yeah. I sold that gear. Like, no way. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, this is yeah. that purge, I guess. Like, you know. Yeah. You know, I I have my apartment is filled with gear. I've got like two base cabinets, uh, half Marshall, half stack. I refuse to sell any of it because one hundred percent of the time, whenever I sell any gear. I end up regretting it. And then, like, I end up in another band and I need it again. So no matter what happens, I'm holding on to all this shit. Dude, if you can, do it. <laughs> you yeah, know? I, I absolutely can. Well, yeah. for now, anyway. Yeah, I hear so, that. So, Pat, I, I think I met you when you were booking a Kung Fu necktie. Correct. Um, but, let, but let's take it back a little bit. Where did you grow up? Uh, I actually, I grew up in Willow Grove. Um, yeah, that's yeah. I'm I'm from Willow Grove. I lived there until I was about like, I guess like sixteen, seventeen, and then I mm-hmm. uh, and then I I was living in the city and all over the place, you know, that point on. But yeah. yeah. So what were you like growing up? I imagine you as kind of like the troublemaker kid, like the first one who knew where to get weed or something like that. <laughs> what, I, what? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I'm right. Yeah, you kind of nailed that one. Like, you know, it was uh, it was cool. I mean, like, I was really lucky to come up in Willow Grove at the time I did. Like, we had, like, a really crazy, unique thing going on with the bands coming from my, like, neighborhood. Like, literally mm-hmm. blocks from each other. So it was really, yeah. like, a crazy time, you know? But uh, we didn't get out to, or I didn't get out to Willow Grove much. Was it similar to what was going on in Lower Bucks, just the number of bands and the totally. scene and, and everything yeah. that was going on? Yeah, definitely. It, it was uh, it was the same thing that was happening in Lower Bucks, but like, it was like just like a couple years before that pop. This was like I'm talking like '92 to like '94, like around then, mm-hmm. you know. And like, uh, you know, I didn't go to my first show until '94, but like, you know, living in my neighborhood and like skateboarding and stuff as like a little kid, I would just like be hanging out, and people just give you flyers and stuff, like it, just hanging out in the neighborhood. So I was like aware of shows were happening but i couldn't yeah. go to, i couldn't go to them yet you know <laughs> like it was like i that. think yeah i remember i think meeting you uh shit there's so many different memories i have of you but like literally they're from when i was like 13 or 14 yeah dude. i think i think <laughs> i met you there used to be that um youth center place in hapro was that where that yeah. was yeah 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 i think i saw you at shows there and I, the the time I distinctly really meet remember meeting you was uh, Anthony and I had gotten dropped off at the old Huntington Valley uh, movie theater. And yeah, we, I remember we, this. <laughs> do you remember this story? Yeah, so yeah. You, so 
I remember we were walking. I, I we didn't we got we got dropped off to go to the movies. We never went to go see a movie. Like we would just go there to like sh- fucking walk around and smoke cigarettes and be shitheads. Um, <laughs> but you were there doing the same exact thing as us. And yeah. I remember seeing you and being like, "Ah, oh, this dude's punk rock, dude!" Like fucking. <laughs> uh, you had like a handmade T-shirt on. I remember you had like a white Hanes T-shirt that you had like written. What did you write in Sharpie on it? It wasn't page ninety nine. What it was, was it? Pr- it was probably a born against t-shirt because I used to hand, <laughs> I used to hand make born against t-shirts like all the yeah. time. I, I could never get them anywhere back then, you know. <laughs> <Nice>. but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that's a, that's how I remember you. And it was the funny thing was I was I was talking to my mom just before we got on here, and uh, I was like, uh, "Mom, I, we're doing the podcast tonight," and she's like, "Oh, who's on?" And I was like, "Oh, this guy." Uh, I've known him for a while, but I was like, uh, he does a lot of booking downtown and Pat Troxel. And she goes, oh, I know the Troxels. And it wasn't like a good, like, oh, yeah, I know them. She was like, I know the Troxels. And I was oh, like, yeah. okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> in mind, before my mom worked at the prison, my mom was a secretary at two different schools. One was Cold Spring Elementary and the other one was <laughs> Round Meadow Elementary. And Patrick is a, an alumni, oh, <laughs> an dude. alumnus of uh, Cold Spring. <laughs> and oh, my man. mom was literally, my mom literally started trying to like nail it down. She was like, "Do they live in Fulmore Heights?" I'm pretty sure they're from Fulmore uh, Heights. Ask him. <laughs> no, like, let, let, let's put it this way: I was already on the outs at that school because I got kicked out of Catholic school in first grade and had to go. Whoa, to Cold whoa, whoa, whoa! Spring. You got kicked out in first grade? Yeah, yeah. What for? Ah, uh, fighting. <laughs> <laughs> The older kids so in that is, school were really mean, and I wasn't putting up with their shit. You know what I mean? So, wait, I like that. Here's a, here's another weird thing that Pat and I have in common that we have. Pat and I have a friend that uh, had a show on WHYY, mm-hmm. went to and went to Harvard. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. a fucking joke. Uh, a friend of mine from uh, he went to LaSalle with me. His name was Jamin Warren. Uh, mm-hmm. He was from Willow Grove, but. Pat can probably tell you way more about him than I can, but he was the fucking smartest dude I've ever met. Like, for real. Yeah. And he used to hang out with me. That was what was so crazy about it. Like, I would be like <laughs> rolling around Jamin, and he'd be like, oh, it's not a good idea. And I'm like, we're doing it. Like, all the time. <laughs> like, it was the best. Dude, uh, here's a good one. Uh, Jamin dated my wife, Anna, uh, back when I was like 15. They like went on a couple dates, and oh, I remember shit. being. Oh yeah, and I, it was right after like Anna and Mikey broke up, like Hothead. And I oh, remember, yeah. yeah, and I remember being like, "Oh man, she's awesome. I totally want to hang out with her." And Jamin's like, "You never have a chance ever." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, years later, we got married, and I couldn't wait to hit him up and be like, "Yo, what's up, dude? It's been so long." By the way, I married Anna DeChico. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, you would, motherfucker." I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> This with Jamin is the funniest part is like, yeah, he's from Willow Grove and I'm from Willow Grove and all that stuff. But I only knew Jamin because he was always the first kid at the Trocadero shows. He always had like the front spot in line. And oh, like, yeah. I, was, I was always trying to cut line. So like I'd see him <laughs> on the train on the way home after every show. And I'd be like, this kid, he's always in the front of the fucking line. Like, you know what I mean? So like literally, that's how we that's how we met. Like riding the scepter and me being like, all right, that's that dude is always up there, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, come to find out, we live like ten blocks from each other, but like, yeah, totally. Like, so what were some of the first shows you went to? Uh, Did man, you get into I, hardcore first or like something yeah, else? Uh, it was just because of the neighborhood, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the first. So 
Um, like you were saying before, Cold Spring, it's like Upper Moreland High School is divided between like Hatboro and Willow Grove. And like mm-hmm. there's the there's the two different schools. Well, like the Willow Grove school is where, you know, Frail and like who, you know, obviously went on to do like Mandela Strike Force and Ink and Dagger and all that stuff. Like yeah. Goodbye Blue Monday, AM FM, like all this cool stuff. Um they Mike Parcell and multiple members of that band lived around the block from me. So like I would be like 11 and like skateboarding and they would be drying like frail t-shirts in the front yard, like getting ready to go on <laughs> tour and stuff. Wow. You know? Yeah. So it was Great. like, it was really crazy. And like, so my first show was, uh, I played little league right in Willow Grove right there, uh, at the Pomona little league field. And, uh, they had a, a, a building right by the high school called Cinekid. And it was like a summer camp for like film kids. Yeah. You would go yeah. there and like, they had like, dude, they used to put that on, on yeah. like uh, channel 48 on mm-hmm. like the weeknight or like super totally. late at night. Like they would fucking yeah. run that stuff. It was like little kid play. It was, yeah. It was like, they do like different types of that, you know, just like, you know, what it would have been a seventies, eighties, early nineties, like school TV show. Like yeah. just with like a, a club. You know, so they like uh, they let Frail play at Syndicate and they booked a show there. And uh, I remember it was uh, I was uh, I was going I was sixth grade was when it was. And I remember like uh, we all got flyers like in the neighborhood. And then like I was like, I really wanted to go. Like I had seen flyers for other shows at like the Fiesta Inn and like other random like spots in Willow Grove, which I thought was crazy that they was like local punk shows like that. At like mm-hmm. that that age, and like you know, I'd already like you know, Kurt Cobain just died, and when he died, I didn't give a fuck because I was just <laughs> like already into punk. You know what I mean? Like like yeah. So, yeah. Like, I didn't get to go to the shows yet, but I was already like listening to dumb stuff like like Operation Ivy. You know what I mean? I was already oh, yeah. like, oh cool. I remember my mom being like, I hate to tell you this, Kurt Cobain died today, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why would I give a shit? You know what I mean? But like, so like. Um, my buddy, we played Little League together and uh, he got hit in the mouth of the line drive that week at practice and not, got his teeth knocked out. <laughs> so uh, the upcoming weekend, I felt bad and was like, yo, I told my dad, I was like, I'm going to go hang out with my buddy instead of going and playing the game this week. And he was like, oh yeah, that's great. That's good team sport, all that stuff. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. And Keith and I went and saw Frail instead. We, we, so you <laughs> actually saw Frail? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, wow. oh, yeah. So yeah. that I was 12. No. I was 12 wow. years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I missed up. out on that whole era, like Credit is a Cold, Frail, Mandela. Oh, Did you ever see Mandela? I uh, know. I didn't see that's a thing. After that show, they weren't allowed to do shows in Willow Grove anymore. Like, why is like, that? Well, Frail broke the stage at Syndicate. And then I'm not going to say what band, but one of the bands stole a whole bunch of gear. And like, it was just 90s. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. shit, you know Like, shit's unlocked. It's going. Like, it's a hardcore show. Like, you know, yeah. so like, it, yeah, that was it. There, there wasn't, there wasn't a show in Willow Grove for like a few years. Like I, uh, I started booking shows in Ardsley and in the North Penn VFW and Glenside because I couldn't book them in Willow Grove anymore. You know what I mean? Like there was yeah. no, there was no spaces. So it was like, yeah, I got to see Frail. I saw that show. It blew my mind. But then like, wow. you know, that was in uh, nine, that was spring of 94, you know? 
And mm-hmm. like, uh, they broke up in 95 and Mandela was running like instantly. But like, you got to remember like 95, 96, like right around then I was still a little, I was so little, I was going to whatever show I could. And they were all like pop punk shows or whatever emo shows there were in the suburbs. Like, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd be going to Glenside and going to like new life church to see stuff. Like, you know what I mean? So oh, I was yeah. like, yeah, shit. Yeah. I know that venue. Oh my yeah. God. So it was like really like spread out. Like I remember like for the, for a minute there, it was, everything was at Southampton U Center, like right after that frail show, like everything was at Southampton U Center for like two years. You know what I mean? So it was oh, like, yeah. it was really weird. But, um, I, I ended up through living in the neighborhood of staying Willow Grove and hanging out with all my neighborhood friends. Like, uh, I ended up getting into the like street punk scene at the same time. So mm-hmm. like that's what brought me down to to Stalag, and that's what brought me to like that was like going to see street punk bands. It had nothing to do with the hardcore thing that I was like really lucky that I got exposed to. So like my later bands were heavily influenced on the like serious fuck you to everybody, and the serious fuck you to like the hierarchy of hardcore. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah, yeah. So I just never gave a fuck about any of that, and like everybody thought that was wild back then because they were like, "Yo, these little dudes in skinny jeans literally will fight you." <laughs> like that's crazy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they didn't see that coming. They thought it was, we were just a group of people to be picked on and like suburban weirdos. But it's like, yeah, we we're real weirdos. It doesn't matter what neighborhood <laughs> we're from. You know what I mean? Like so, it was a yeah. uh, it was a cool time. Like growing up around there, like like. Honestly, like it went from going to like seeing Frail and seeing like Chokehold to all of a sudden, like the only band you could see on the regular in the suburbs was like Vile Society, you know what <laughs> I mean? But it was like oh, that was yeah. fun, like that was it, like that was that was 96 and 97, man, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was like how many times did I see the boils in Vile Society in those years? I don't know and I don't care, but it was more about the chaos that went on at every one of those shows. It was like. <laughs> I would go to hardcore shows and be like, y'all are nerds. Like, I went to an <laughs> ass suck show this weekend. It was like the craziest <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? Like, so it, was like it was cool. The, like, uh, those uh, are, yeah, those are years I wish I, I had been around, but I didn't get into hardcore until later. And, you know, it just, everything just seems really crazy based on the stories and awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was like, that's how, like, Philly, I mean, that's how, you know, I, ended up hanging out more with Anthony was I see Anthony at all these shows. And we were the only two dudes that like would be at some of these shows that weren't wearing the uniform. So it was really funny. Like that's how we all started like getting tighter and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean it, it was cool, but it also like when, when like the centerfuse era of Philadelphia hardcore hit, like I was so over all that already like that idea yeah. you know what i mean so that was why it was really fun to do you know here's equal shit where we just straight up never booked <laughs> we didn't book a show we would just show up to whatever show we want and be like yo we're playing and they would be like cool like <laughs> like it's, it blew my mind so funny. You that's like serious uh and dagger style there's like countless stories of them just showing up and just using people's shit on stage, yeah. which oh, which is which seems crazy now because like mm-hmm. I don't know like it, you just don't hear of anything like that. Well, that anymore. that was how we rolled. I mean, that's how Agnew, uh, Sean Agnew, of Philly started letting me play shows whenever I was like a cool show would happen. I'd be like, "Yo, let me play that," and he'd be like, "Okay." And I was like sixteen, and people would be like, "How did you let him do that?" And I was like, "Oh, I just asked him." But it was because, like, that's which is bullshit. But it's more because if he doesn't, he knows I'm going to sneak the gear in and play in the bathroom. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, and that's what we used to do back then. I mean, I remember playing as day, playing in Lansdale, uh, the Knights of Columbus in Lansdale, and we were just bored on like a Sunday or whatever. And it was 25 to life and punishment and like all these bands in Lansdale. And we wow. went up and we just set up in the back of the room and played. Like, it was funny <laughs> as hell. Like, they were just looking at us like, these guys are crazy. Like, <laughs> like it, was, it was the best. Like, back then, just like looking, you know, looking online and finding message boards, be like, oh, there's a show in Westchester tonight. Let's go drop in. Like, we would just roll up like 10 cars deep, no gear, and play. Like, it was awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. I, yeah, I, w- I, when I was younger, I was just afraid of everything, like afraid of driving downtown, afraid of going to the Stalag and like all this stuff. But I, I wish. I had done some crazy stuff like that. I mean, you know, I had always wanted to be in bands and just to be 16 and basically doing whatever you want and running amok downtown. It sounds like uh, it sounds like an awesome time. Well, yeah, I mean, I also had to like seriously make a decision when I was young. It's like, is this what I'm going to be like and do for the rest of my life? You know what I mean? Because, like, <laughs> uh, you know, it wasn't a situation where, I, you know, going to Stalag was awesome, but like, the home life that was forced from me not giving a fuck, like I later felt bad about, but like, yeah, you know, cause I, you know, it, it just got rough for a minute and then I was homeless for a while. And then I was like hopping trains and I hitchhiked down to Florida. I was living in a tree house for like a couple months. And then, I, you know, I ended up moving to Texas for a few years. Like it was like wild, but I wouldn't trade any of it cause I got it out of my system. And honestly, for the last 10 years, I've been pretty solid just, booking shows and trying to help bands and do my own thing instead of just being like this wild dickhead. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Let's get into some of that. Um, so w- what are some of the bands you were in in Philly? They're your first bands. Uh, oh, God. So uh, the first band I ever, I ever played in was called Aunt Joe. And mm-hmm. um, it was the, that was the name of a hooker who lives in the woods by the Willow Grove train station. And uh, <laughs> we used to go back there and like paint on the trail train tracks and stuff. And like she would be like, "What are you doing?" And we're like, "What's up, Joe?" Like we were uh, <laughs> always cool with Joe. But like, uh, what it was is these older kids that I met that hung out at this abandoned mobile gas station in Willow Grove. It was like a skate mm-hmm. spot back then. Uh, they were always talking about starting a band, and I never played an instrument, but I, I was skated. And uh, they were, you know, we really need a drummer and all this stuff. And um, I remember my uncle was a drummer. So I hit him up. I was like, yo, man, can I like get some old gear off you all stuff? He helped me out with like a kick drum and a snare and a hi-hat. Mm-hmm. And then uh, within like two weeks, I played my first show at the South End Youth Center with Aunt Joe. We, uh, so had you ever played yeah. or did you just get the drums and you're, and you're like, no, I never, this. I never played before. I just like got it and was just like. <laughs> I just just like fucking do it. That's amazing. Yeah, you just get it, and you're like, all right, now I'm gonna fucking do this. I'm gonna learn how to play the drums, like, and I would just play. You know what I mean? And like, cause I and and it came handy later, cause like I played drums in like a couple like just neighborhood bands like around then. But then I Mm -hmm. ended up being the singer in a bunch of bands for years and didn't play an instrument. And then like literally got to the point where we just hated all the drummers. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'll just play drums again. And they're like, really? Yeah. And I just sat down and started <laughs> playing drums again. So it was cool like, like that. And that's know? cool because like sometimes people get an attitude about 
what what they're doing musically like oh i sing now i'm not playing drums or oh i play drums i'm not doing you know but you're just like fucking i'm i'm gonna do what's needed oh yeah oh yeah i, I mean, like that i mean it 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 worked out like that for me like even like at one point i lived in an apartment in west philly like before i left to go to texas so this is like 2003 and uh, I, my roommate was uh, this dude, Matt Raidman, who ran uh, uh, Breath Mint Records, that, like noise label that was like mm-hmm. prominent South Philly, I mean, South, I mean, South Hampton <laughs> noise label <laughs> that uh, uh, put out like a lot of really cool stuff. Like Matt, actually, him and I did some really cool stuff together. Like he was a room, my roommate that worked at the post office and hated his life. And I was like, yeah, he's, he's cool. And like uh, uh, he ended up, would go on these random trips and he would be like, yo, I want you to come play bass this weekend. So I would just get in the car with Matt and go make up how to play bass. I have no idea. Like just playing noise sets with them. And like, that's how I got to see like, you know, I got to see men's recovery project and I got to see like USA is a monster and like lightning bolt in their, in their house in Providence and like a lot of cool stuff like that traveling around to weird noise shows, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, all those things when I came back later and did Creepoid, all like really, it was easy for me to put my mind into those different positions. You know, it was never like, this is all I'm into, punk and hardcore, that's it. Like the whole time, it was more about like the chaos of, of the, you know, of the whole thing to me, you know? But, yeah. So why did you end up leaving Philly? What you said you had some problems at home? Well, I mean, I can't. I left. Yeah, I got kicked out when I was in high school and and was living in my buddy's car. Uh, actually, the guitar player, the Funeral Bird, and uh, Minor Times Lou. I was living in his car and still going to uh, school. Like he would yeah. wake me up when he would get up, and I'd go to school with him. And I was trying to finish high. I was starting to finish high school because we were juniors, you know. And then mm-hmm. uh, uh, it just wasn't working out. And I ended up meeting some people that were traveling south. So I hitchhiked to Gainesville. And dropped out and lived in a treehouse down there for like six months. And now, um, how do you find the treehouse to live in? Like, like <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> All right, so yeah, this is funny. So I met these people from hanging out at Stalag in the Kill Time, like just yeah. regular train hopper crusty kids, and they were the ones who turned me on to like the idea of using the train to get what I want done. So like mm-hmm. uh, my bandmate at the time, Jeff Rahoney and I would uh, we used to train hop down to Baltimore just to go record shopping. But <laughs> like we would go down to the South Philly oil refinery and hop trains on the trash trains down to Baltimore and then walk from North Baltimore into Reptilian Records. Wow. Um, yeah, and we used to do that all the time. We would like go down there, go to Reptilian, get a whole bunch of cool drugs and records go to the Micah dorms, find a party, rage all night, and then catch the morning train out of Baltimore back to Philadelphia. You know? Wow. <laughs> like, so That's we got, amazing. Yeah. So we got used to that. And like, uh, you know, because this is all way, this is years before 9-11. So it was like, it got way harder to do that after 9-11, like, tr- like traveling by train like that. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a whole different level of offense <laughs> now. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like we were doing that already. So the idea of like leaving and hitchhiking with these people to somewhere and finding a train and going, just going somewhere else sounded awesome to me. So I was just all about it. So I would like, you know, I just, I met up with them. It took us two days to hitchhike to Gainesville. And then when we were in town, the the transient kids I knew 
We're like, oh man, there's this place called the Ewok Village. There's all these tree forts and like tents and shit. And like people are allowed to live back there. You just got to get okayed. And like they got me okayed, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I lived in Gainesville for a couple months, just like hanging out, going to shows and parties. And like that was actually how the first time I ever heard Floor. I saw them playing oh, in the living room and it like made me yeah. shit my pants. Like I literally was like, holy fuck. Like this is where it's going. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I remember hearing them in comps and they were just like a whatever stoner band. And then when yeah. I saw them, it was like right before that LP dropped with no idea. And it was, yeah. this was like 2003, like 2003, 2004. You know? Yeah. And I, it just, blew my mind and then uh i did i started a band down there with some kids called nap attack we played like one show it was just like a <laughs> reversal man style like power violence band mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and then i uh i hopped the train around the south for a minute and then i went back to philly and when i got back to philly was when the funeral birds started because i got back after that trip like here's equal shit died down while i was on that trip and when i got back uh i met uh, Mike McGinnis uh, from Fight Amp and Funeral Bird and mm-hmm. stuff. And we, uh, he was 16 and he just dropped out of high school. So uh, him and I started hanging out like all the time. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> so um, then we started doing the Funeral Bird and, uh, and Heroes Equal, Heroes Equal Shit was still a band technically, but like we didn't rehearse and we would just show up and crash shows. And mm-hmm. Funeral Bird was like a real band where we like got booked on like tours and like just for doing things, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so we, we kind of still used Heroes Equal Shit as a weapon, you know. But um, yeah, I, so, I mean, like, so Mike uh, <laughs> was in uh, the Funeral Bird too. I didn't know that. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, so the Funeral Bird's original lineup was myself, Mike McGinnis, uh, Mike Howard from Ladder Devils and Fight Amp, um, mm-hmm. Evan Weiss from Into It Over It on bass, and mm-hmm. uh, Lou Millenhausen from uh, Minor Times was on guitar. He was also in Here's Equal Shit. He was a Willow Grove dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we were the original lineup. And then Evan and Mike Howard, after we did the original demo, we did like a little tour with Mel Banana. They quit. And uh, uh, they, they were pretty much like... Evan was actually a total dick about it. He was like, yo... I'm out, so that means it's over. And we're and McGinnis, <laughs> McGinnis and I were like, no, it means you're over, and we're just going to adapt all the other members from Heroes Equal Shit, and now Funeral Bird is just a hybrid of Heroes Equal Shit and the Funeral Bird, and we're going to do whatever yeah. we want. And that was yeah. when we got real nasty, and that was when we were doing shows with like horror show and like bands that we shouldn't have been playing with that <laughs> you know it didn't make sense for like our style but it was just because like we wanted pure chaos like we wanted trouble you know yes <laughs> like, so it was absolutely uh, yeah, yeah it was- oh now you met your wife anna at, a, at an audience of one show right yeah yeah uh at the kill time the audience audience one play i think it was like your guys first kill time show i don't right. even think I don't even think Tommy, you guys played in the main room. I think y'all played in like the kitchen area. Like, yeah. I can't, you know? Tommy, were you were you in the band at that time? I don't know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Tom, Tommy was well, definitely think, in the band. I think there was only like two shows where I wasn't actually in the band. Okay, and I ask because I I remember a specific audience of one show at the kill time when there was someone else on bass. So there was one time where Aunt, like. Where, <laughs> Anthony showed up and was like a problem. Like the whole from yeah. the from the get go. As soon as I saw him, his I, eyes I was at up. that show. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
fuck, this is gonna <laughs> this is gonna be bad news. <laughs> like and uh the the worst part was is I remember I got really mad at him because we were trying to he was trying to tune and I remember looking over at it and I was like, you have the wrong fucking strings on the guitar. Like he he literally had strung like a B string where his low E should have been. And I was like, this motherfucker, like I'm going to flip out. Like I, Dude, I not, not only that he was stringing the guitar as you're setting up. As we're, <laughs> as, we're, as, we're, as we're like plugging in and like JD and I are like warming up. I'm like, is this fucking, is this really happening right now? So was that, that was that JD's last show before you like was with crucial was, unit? That was with, yeah, that was the last show we ever played. Cause I remember when we left, uh, yeah. I got, I got in the van cause the van was, so it was JD's dad's like handyman kind of like van. So d- JD's dad had like a regular full-time job. And then on the side, he had this uh, business called Can Do It. And it was like him like doing like handy thing around people's houses and shit. So he had this windowless red van that uh, he was like, yo, we're just going to pack everything. When we go to like shows, we'll just pack everything in my dad's van. But that also meant you had to unpack all of his dad's equipment. So there's us moving, moving like stuff like fucking welding torches and fucking tons Dude, and tons of totally. like lat like 80 foot you know 80 feet of ladder just pulling ladder after ladder after ladder and then uh-huh. loading all the shit in and also realizing like there's no seating in the back so only two people could travel in the van if you wanted to wear a seatbelt everybody else like if you were traveling in the van you had to sit on the floor like and potentially just get hit in the head by whatever the fuck fell down off the shelves um, but I remember getting in the van after that show and JD was like, yeah, that was the last show. Like definitively. Oh, so, so that was it. Oh, he was so mad. Well, he was, he was already out of it mentally. Cause like crucial unit had just recorded some songs, right? Yeah. Like, he was, oh, yeah. he was, cause he was telling me about it before you guys played. And I was at that time, I think I was wearing a DS 13 t-shirt and he was like, <laughs> he's like, this guy likes thrash. And I was like, yeah, they just played the kill time last week. Of course I'm in the thrash this week, man. <laughs> but but <laughs> yeah, like, I remember yeah. talking to me about it. Yeah. He was, he was, he was that, that was his like, all right, I'm, I'm out, out. Like he, yeah. definitely, he was checked out before that because of other things, but he was definitely like, I remember he got really um, like when we recorded the last EP, um, JD had done all the arrangement for the last song on the EP. And which was awesome. <laughs> That's so, just, it's so awesome. Good. And here's the crazy part. Like JD has like, he had very little training in terms of like actually playing guitar. And I remember like, he went to go show me the song. He's like, so when we go to record it, he's like, uh, he's like, you could do the bass part with it and then I'll do some of the guitar part. And he's like, and if I can't get it, I'll, uh, you can do the guitar part too. And I was like, okay. I remember him showing me the guitar part and I was like, kind of, I don't remember if it was exactly that, but it was something to the effect of, it was like, dude, that's not how you use a capo. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like he I had love it, that. He had it like in the wrong, like he had it across two frets like it was kind of at like a weird angle and i was like yeah it's just supposed to be like one one fret bro you just gonna pick one and go with it and he's like well then we got to tune the other one like so it was this <laughs> weird tuning and all this stuff and he had spent so much time on it and uh i remember we got out of the studio and that was all we had time like that was all we had paid for was what we you know we had done and we went to go listen to the ep and i remember we listened to the last song and anthony never did vocals for it and JD uh, was fucking devastated. He was so uh, mad. Like I don't even think he, 
I don't think he was mad as much as he was just like he. I think he was really hurt, and because it was such a good song, and he had spent so much time with it, and he was like. I remember him sitting there while I was recording the bass part. And he's like, no, no, no. I want it to sound more like this. Can you do the do, 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 do? And I was like, yeah, sure, dude. Like, I remember he was just so passionate about it. And when he heard it and he was like, yeah, Anthony was like, oh, yeah, I couldn't figure out a vocal part for this. So we just kind of left it go. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that, that's that's tough, especially like in in earlier bands. Like if, if I was just playing bass, but I had written a song, yeah. like it was really important for me to, for that song to get done because oh. i want i wanted to feel validated like hey i i contributed to the songwriting process like yeah we got to do this yeah dude there's like a real ringo type of thing where you're like no i'm gonna fucking have a song and then like he got the song and then anthony was like eh, i can't figure out a vocal part where yeah, like, being a drummer i fully understand in there other bands and it's like why i stopped playing in some bands you know what i mean <laughs> but keep in mind like when we recorded some stuff like because this is what really i i remember jd got like we were talking about it and he was like dude he made up the lyrics for some of the songs for the old so the first thing that we had recorded anthony didn't have lyrics written for some of it and <laughs> when we did the lyric like when we were in like we were literally in the studio and anthony's like writing the lyrics and there's a part where he was like, I want a girl to sing this part. And he's like, what's this? Like, what are the words to this part? And the words that Anthony had written down, like, were like, I, I, it's almost like you, I read it and I was like, those don't make sense in that order. Like you can't, that's not fucking like, bro, you got to get checked out. Like you're fucking like, this is your shit's backwards. Like, and he's the <laughs> words where I made my grilled cheese with the pan you hit me on. Oh yeah, those lyrics are great, man. I love that. What you know? <laughs> I, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. These That's are very awesome. dividing lyrics because you know you either love it or hate it and i i remember hearing that back in the day and i was like no that's wrong oh yeah like that's that's not how you say it yeah. oh no 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 see i i love that stuff like Dude, like, like oh my god here's a pure example like like here uh like uh love lauren has a full length coming out in the fall and mm -hmm. I, I have a song on it where um the the lyrics <laughs> technically in the english language wouldn't make sense in the order that they're saying but it's uh, 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 nothing to prove me and you over and over again. And honestly, it doesn't make sense to me and that you. That has a cadence, though. That has a cadence yeah, to it, it though. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> but like, it, like uh, it's the lyric you're talking about, that's from the Show Your Teeth song, right? Yeah. Is that the, but, yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Great don't song. Know Great song. Great song, man. Like, like the lyrics are awesome. I'm telling you, it's, a, it's an awesome one. Like, it is right. a good song. That part a, can't be denied. There was a song <laughs> that we had. Uh, there was a song that we had that I remember uh, we couldn't figure out like how to do Like we were still like trying to write it in the moment. And I remember Anthony had his his Spanish textbook with us. And yes. he was like, the one uh, lyric was, El Presidente, I should have warned you, La Buchila, <laughs> which is <laughs> the president, I should have warned you, the backpack <laughs> like that's literally what it translated to and i was like yo mochila that's sick what does that mean he's like backpack i'm like no 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 really what does that mean he's like yeah no it means like fucking backpack bro like we're fucking going with that and i was like uh, yeah this uh, sounds like gibberish bro <laughs> speaking of uh that era of audience of one i almost completely forgot and we can't skip this step in the order of things uh <laughs> before i started singing in here's a cool shit and all those like punk bands I played drums in an Ebo band called Sheldon with a dude named Joe Violi. 
and 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 Jamin. Jamin was the bass player, the dude we were talking about earlier. <laughs> it was on the cover of you know Forbes magazine and all that <laughs> shit. Uh, uh, but yeah, so our I have a funny story. We were supposed to record a full length for Sheldon, and uh, we had to cancel one of the days because uh, Jamin got dosed at lunch at LaSalle High School that day. <laughs> <laughs> someone someone dosed a sugar packet and then was like I, I'd give you five bucks if you eat that sugar packet <laughs> and he ate it and oh. uh, had to leave school and was hallucinating oh for like a while that day and like we had to cancel our recording stuff and like Holy you know shit. We, we unfortunately wow. recorded it with a bunch of crackheads and CKY that had that studio Groundhog oh, Groundhog <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so they did not want us to cancel. And we we're like, no, you don't understand. Like, we're we're canceling. We're high school kids. Like one of our dudes is like not. Were you that's pissed? Fucking, dude, that's fucking insane. I never heard that story. That's I insane. thought it was so funny. It took Joe <laughs> it took Joe a month to tell us what really happened. You know what I well, mean? But like yeah. if if you met Joe Violi, he's it's like being in a band with Vinny Stigma from Chestnut Hill. Like, he was funny as shit. He had the best accent ever. But he was like, a LaSalle dude. You know what I mean? So he, hung out with he was smart as shit, dude. That kid, That's like one of those things. You meet a bunch of those kids where you're like, dude, this kid is smart as hell. Like, but at the same time, you're like, this is a dude I just eat lunch with every day. Like, this yeah. <laughs> you're like, this guy's going to get rich from making prank phone calls, not from like changing the world, but he is going to change the world. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Holy shit, dude. I can't yeah. believe that. Yeah. So that was so, one uh, of the bands I was in for a minute was with Jamin and Joe. And that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're back in Philly playing in bands. Did you end up in Austin after that? Oh, yeah. So I came back to Philly. Uh, I started, we were in Funeral Bird. Funeral Bird started like winding down and uh, we started a new project called Gun of Om. And mm-hmm. uh, I was playing drums in Gun of Om and it was with Evan Weiss and Jeff Perhoney and Lou was playing, Lou was singing. Gun of Om started and like this was right around when Midiron Blast Shaft had broken up and like Jeff oh, yeah. was was still in Midiron Blast Shaft the whole time, you know, like like because they were the the best band from the suburbs. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Dude, they like, were so tight too. They were the they were so fucking tight when you watched them live. They were awesome. Do you know what happened to the guitar player from that band? No, he's in Hoots and Hellmouth. He is Hellmouth. Get the fuck out of here, really? Yeah, <laughs> a- Andrew Gray, the like blonde dude who jumps on the wooden box and plays acoustic guitar. He was yeah. the sec- he was the other guitar player in Midiron Blashet. Like him and Jeff were like the dueling monster lead guitar players. You know what I Yo, mean? Yeah, that's so funny. You know, you bring up that fucking um. Uh, the dudes from Groundhog, and I remember oh, yeah. that comp. <laughs> we got so yo, they were so they were so mad at us. We played a show at that skate park in Ivyland, and oh, yeah. I remember that dude showed up. Um, the one that I think he ended up, I think he's in CKY. Yeah, the guitar he's, player. He's a dickhead. The dude with the mustache who thinks he's Gigi Allen with like no balls. He used, wear, yeah. he used to wear a Gigi Allen shirt all the time. It was like shredded. Yeah. This fucking yeah. shirt. And yeah, he's uh, a nerd. He's a nerd. I, I think he was trying to he was trying to be tough with somebody and I forget exactly who was playing that day but I do remember there was like a band like um like a real like tough guy hardcore band there and <laughs> it was I Surge. Think, 
It was, was that surge. Yeah, surge. it was fucking surge. I was there. I remember this. Shit. It was on the half pipe, and that shit yes. was hilarious. And he tried to like talk shit to these kids, and they fucking beat the shit out of yeah. him. Yeah, they just started everybody. jumping on him. <laughs> yes, dude, it was fucking wildest thing. And I remember, like, my I would remember getting picked up because keep in mind, I'm like, I don't know, 13 years old. Oh, 14. dude, same. We're like little kids, you know. <laughs> like, my mom <laughs> came to. Pick my mom came to pick me up and she was like, how was the skate park? I was like, oh, it was great. Get the <laughs> drive. Get the, me the, surge, the surge guys are like 250 plus pounds all in Adidas jumpsuits and they just stomped the fuck out of this little skinny dude. It was so oh, funny. And it was really funny. That band Surge, the, the singer looked like, um, was that the one that had the guy that had the really long hair that had his head shaved on both sides? Oh yeah, yeah. He was like yeah. really thin, but like the the guitar player and bass player, those Everybody guys literally they could, people, they could have yeah. been in E Town, man. They were monsters. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, gigantic dudes, yeah. fucking with yeah. like and like the full on like line beard with like the backward oh, yeah. hat and everything. It was fucking hilarious. Like, <laughs> let's just keep. Corn was really big at this time. So. Dude, it was so big. Uh, actually, I had I had an issue with some of those guys around that era too. Uh, do you remember uh, the Village Mall on Hapro used to have Fear Fest? Oh my God! Yeah, dude. All right. All right so anybody that doesn't know the Village Mall, okay. So Village, how do you explain? <laughs> so explain Village Mall for people that aren't from around here, dude, because you can't. Oh, uh, dude, it's like a dirt mall that has a dollar fifty movie, and if you go there, you're just gonna get like little kids that are gonna ask to bum cigarettes off you the whole time. Like, it's what was the, it's, what was the big anchor store at the Village Mall? Because I remember like that was like the place that you uh, used dude, to go. It was, it was Caldor. Caldor, yeah, dude. <laughs> Caldor, and then like that, that was like the place where like you would go. You know, like when they turn the mall into like the place where they have like the the baseball card show. Like they would have totally. like you know like just like shitty like people like kind of set up with stands and stuff like that. That was the village mall on a good day. Like dude. it was always just fucking people like just hanging out. Uh, I remember one time I don't know if it was a wrestling show was in town. But they had like two, like a bunch of the guys from well, at that time was the WWF. Like, so we're supposed to do like a meet and greet there, and nobody was there except for that one dude, um, Virgil, who was <laughs> the the like the underling kind of person to Ted yeah. DiBiase. How the fuck oh, did dude. we get on this conversation? This <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> literally, Virgil was just like accosting people and saying like. Hey, come here, come here, come here. Like Mr. T, like fucking grabbing people. And like he would take a picture with a Polaroid and be like, you owe me $20. Like, what the fuck is happening right That's now? Move. Yeah. Dude, yes. you know that pizza shop that was in that strip? My, yeah, yeah. My, my one buddy growing up literally got fired from there like four times. They just kept bringing him back because they couldn't get anyone to work there because they're all just scumbags <laughs> and hung out at the strip mall. And it was like, Dude, and then there was like a pet store in there that smelled pet store. so fucking bad. It was like from a distance, you could tell there was a pet store in there. Like it was yeah. like at a hundred yards, you were like, what the fuck is that smell? And it's like they have like eight, like they would have no dogs, but they have for some reason like 800 birds in the front window. You're like, dude, what the <laughs> fuck is this place? Well, dude, so that, that that strip mall, this, this shitty kid from that town owned, his dad owned the shoe store. And for two years in a row, he did Fear Fest, where they just covered the walls with 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 tarps, <laughs> the shoe rack walls, and just like put a tarp over the front. And he just like charged a cover and had all these bands playing. And uh, uh, I remember uh, uh, Kenny Vasoli from Starting Line had a band back then, uh, uh, Sunday Drive, and oh, yeah. they were 
they were playing that they were playing and we all like went to hang out because i knew kenny back when he was in like smash adams and like shitty pop punk bands when we were little kids and like you know we all skated together still because we lived like a town over so i go see kenny and I just like, I'm watching them. And I remember it was a lot of fun. And I'm like moshing. I remember I had a brand new agnostic front sweatshirt I had just bought uh, <laughs> at the Reach the Sky agnostic front show at Space, that rave club down on uh, Front Street. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So I like was stoked. And I remember I was moshing. And one of those big surge guys like grabbed me by the hoodie and threw me against the wall <laughs> like super <laughs> hard and like, like stretched out my sweatshirt. And I just took my carabiner off and put it on my little white hand. And I just bashed the fuck out of the side of his head like so <laughs> wow. many times. And they drug me out into the food court area. There's no food court there, but you know what I mean? Like the area yeah. in the mall there. And I just remember I'm like squared up with all these huge dudes. And like I'm getting rocked, but like I'm still on my feet. And uh, 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 at that time, um, my, my buddy Jeff, now my buddy Jeff, I never knew him then uh we we've been best friends like since then he jumped in and him and i beat up these dudes and we were like little kids you know wow. <laughs> like, so it was, it was funny like uh it was wild but i mean like those dudes they dumped on that ggl Allen guy and so i was like freaked out while it was going down but at the same time i was like i got this little piece of metal on my hand and they're just afraid that i hit them first so Whoa. we'll see what happens you know <laughs> what i mean like, so we did uh we did gun of um um Gun of Bomb started. I was on drums. We did a demo. And then uh, since the funeral band had just ended, um, those guys in Jersey had just started Fight Amp or Fight Amputation back then. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, that was uh, some of the members of David's Burning and uh, uh, McGinnis and the other guys from the funeral bird. Um, and uh, uh, I guess they played two shows and their lead singer quit. And they were in a spot, so I joined Fight Amp as their frontman for a couple years, like right. So out. you fronted Fight Amp too. Now I think yeah. my friend Sean was the Sean original. Singer. Yeah, Sean yeah. was the original singer, and he quit after the second show because he was like his career was getting real busy, and he was like, I, we were real young, so he was do. I think he was doing like some modeling stuff or something like that was happening, and he was just yeah. like not having it, you know, being in like. Yeah this type of punk band. So I, I, uh, being their buddies and Mike and everything, like they were just like, yo, you're playing drums and bomb. Will you join fight amp? So I sang for fight amp on their first seven inch and, um, did like their first touring as, uh, their lead singer. And then, um, we hit, I quit fight amp. Like it was, a, I I kind of was a mess. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Like, yes, like, I do. <laughs> yeah. Myself, myself and the drummer of Fight Amp, um, at that point, we were both homeless and we would <laughs> we would like meet people and tell people that we were roommates so we could mm-hmm. crash on their couch for the night and stuff, but like we were just both like homeless and like, like Where were you like where were you homeless? Were you in Philly? Uh, were in you in Philly, Jersey? In Philly. Yeah, yeah. We were in South Philly, between South Philly and Maniac, because we knew a lot yeah. of like younger kids that lived out there. So now like, were you like on the street homeless or like uh, j- I mean like in the summertime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like that's because we would just be out all night. You know what I yeah. mean? And it was fine to live like that. But like we we always found a place to lay down and like people always were there to help us out. And like, you know, there was also a lot of, of really nice people that you know, were part of the crew that, that they they appreciated what we were doing. They like mm-hmm. wanted us to be chaos and they wanted us to do these things. So like they would help, you know, mm-hmm. like, like I remember there was a really long stretch where I didn't have any money for drugs, but everybody always made sure I had them. 
you know, no. <laughs> you know. See, so like, see, that's nice. In my in my days, in those days for me, all I ever wanted one fucking time was someone to come to my apartment and be like, hey, I got us the stuff. Like, yeah. I was always the fucking person who had to get it. I was always the person with the phone numbers. Like, I was always the one providing. Just one time, I wanted someone to be like, hey, man, I got you. But it yeah. never happened. Keith, you're a goddamn go-getter. That's why. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You just you should have just been hanging out with more go-getters. <laughs> you're, for, you're, you're a facilitator, man. You I was it. settling, and I shouldn't yeah. have been. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, uh, I, I, I ended up quitting Fight Amp. Um, and it, it was a situation where we got done a, a, we did one particular tour and I started doing like a lot more bad things that I shouldn't have been doing on that tour. And, uh, yeah. uh, when I got home, I was like, Hey, I'm going to stop. And everyone in the band was like, yes, <laughs> you know, but like, um, they understood, you know, they were really cool about it. And, um, it was winter at that point and uh, i was living on top of sod's falafel restaurant in west philly um mm-hmm. uh we had got an apartment and this was when i was living with uh a matt raidman and like the noise kids um and i was going on like weekend trips up to new york just to go do you know in providence to do like noise sets and stuff um so i was kind of like checking out you know on being in a real band at that point and mm-hmm. uh i some buddies i knew through BMX that that put Funeral Bird in a BMX video, they were living down in Austin because they were all professional riders, and they uh, they were like, "Hey man, like you got a room in our house? It's a hundred bucks a month." And uh, I jumped on the next Greyhound bus to Austin and moved into that room. <laughs> wow! And, uh, and uh, it was really I got really lucky though. I like within the second day there, I got a job at Emos, uh, uh, this club there that is you know it was the best club in austin like hands down i remember that place on yeah. uh i was on, on a this day ford tour and we oh, didn't yeah. play emos there was another place near it i can't remember yeah. the name of it yeah though. you guys yeah. played down the street under this day forward show was it stubs Pro- probably yeah i'm pretty sure it was stubs because uh yeah was was a life once lost on that tour too no, it was uh, This Day Forward and Open Hand and I think Not Waving But Drowning, too. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Because yeah. I remember one time all the, all the Northeast bands came through and I went and got grabbed Doug and brought him over to Emo's. He was like, this is where I work. And he was like, holy shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, this is like a, a big clubhouse. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I walked in off the street and the door was open and the, the GM was cleaning. And I was like, Hey man, I just moved here from Philly. I need a job. I'm, I'm 20. And he was like, he was like, Oh, you're from Philly. I was like, yeah. He's like, you don't take shit. I was like, nah. And he was like, I'm from Cherry Hill. I grew up there. And I was like, okay. Wow. He's, like, he's like, will you start right now? I was like, yeah. So I became the cleaning guy at Emo's like right away. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, there's two rooms there. It's really big on either side. And they would give me a hundred bucks per room. So like every day I go to the bar when I wake up and then I would sweep and mop both rooms, <laughs> you know, and get my $200. So I was killing it. I was, yeah. getting, I was getting more money I'd ever gotten my entire life. You know what I wow. mean? And obviously most of it was going on my nose then. But like, <laughs> like it was like crazy to have that much money as a 20 year old kid and have like bar access. And I'm in a city I've never been in before, but like. I did what I was doing in Philly. So like when I got down there, I was like, ah, I'm just going to like try to chill a little bit. And it Mm -hmm. didn't really work like that. And, um, (laughs) and so what it was is like the fourth day I was working there because I was just the cleaning guy. Fourth day I was working there and, uh, Hank Williams, the third was playing. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I came to collect my money from cleaning, and it's like it's like nine o'clock. Like it's like the show, like a, the opener went on. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm walking through Emos, and like in the middle of the courtyard where you cut through the venues, there's an ice chest. That's where like the main ice chest is. And there's this mm-hmm. huge dude running his arms through the ice chest. And mind you, that all that ice goes into people's drinks. So I was like, "What the fuck?" So I like just ran over. And slammed the door on his arms and was like, stay the fuck out of that. That's disgusting. This is like goes in people's drinks and all this stuff. And he was like, oh, oh, calm down. And I'm like, no, man, fuck you. Like, don't do that. This is gross. And then when I walked away, he got another piece of ice out and pegged me in the back of the head with it. (laughs) (laughs) So like the security guard who was standing right there, like at this point, they only know me in like a week. So they all called me Philly. They didn't know my name. So there's like, yo, they're like, yo, Philly, he went through that door. And I just, I followed him in and he was like, he had a good like foot on me. And as soon as Mm -hmm. he turned around, I punched him right in the throat and just started like stomping on him. And, uh, it turns out he was the drummer of Hank Williams, the third's band and (laughs) they hadn't gone on yet. And I just fucked him up. And like, and like I went out back and the head bartender was like, yeah, you should go home. I was like, all right. So I like just ran, I got the fuck out of there. And, uh, the next day, my boss called me. He's like, I need you to come up to the club. So I come up to the club. And I'm like, oh, what's up? I'm really sorry about last night. And he was like, how many days a week can you work security? So <laughs> 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 I was like, any day you want, man. So I started getting my $100 for security and my $200 for cleaning and was killing it. Like, turned 21 doing that. You know what I now, mean? Now, let me and, ask a question. Yeah, did, yeah. did your life get more out of control with, uh, with this newfound funds? Oh my god. It it became amazing. I could literally do whatever I wanted in Austin. Like it was so much fun. I saved it up and we rented a warehouse and yeah. like like kill time style. And mm-hmm. but I went I saved up enough money that I got a lawyer and I got a legal art gallery license for, for wow. our for our zone space. So when the cops finally came and did shut us down for having a legal bar, they couldn't do a single thing to me. And it was so funny. I was just standing there like, <laughs> good luck. Like, look what I got here. I'm going to call my lawyer. And they were like, okay, you can go. I was like, damn right, I can go. Like, that was fun. Like, we did that for a summer. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it was uh, it was really cool. Like, because, uh, you know, we'd be loading in bands like Queens of the Stone Age and like huge bands. And I would just be like, hey, man, you know, want to make a couple hundred bucks tonight and DJ a party at my warehouse at 2 a.m. And they would always be like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Like bands always wanted to do that. Like it was That awesome. sounds like a really fun time. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone little by little Philly kids started coming down there. Like mm-hmm. while I was doing it cuz we had the art gallery was called 423 Tillery and mm-hmm. um the first Chaos and Chaos, we did all the after parties. So we had like Limp Wrist and Filth and Career Suicide and like it fucked up. Like all these bands were playing in our warehouse but like at like 4 a.m. You know what I mean? Like it was, yeah, it was awesome. Like so, it was um really awesome. But the whole time I was learning the business side of it, like working at Emos, and then I eventually became a booking person. And then uh, we opened Red Seven, another club, and I was a part of that. And then uh, mm-hmm. I was working at Beerland at the same time. So like you know, I got into that side of it. And then like we did fun 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 fest, and I was you know stage manager for the first year for that, and that was like crazy because we shouldn't have been doing that. Like <laughs> none of us knew what we were doing. And it that's was pretty just, incredible. Yeah. You just show up at Emo's doorstep, and you're like, "Hey, I need a job," and you get yeah. it. 
Yeah, and then all just, this other shit happens. It's yeah, you just wild. don't say no. You just keep working every day and keep. You just be real. You know what I mean? How many fake dudes show up and they're like, "Ah, I'm I'm a wild punk from Philly," and it's like, "Are you?" You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, you know, like so yeah. it was it was cool, but um, uh, it, it definitely got me to learn the business side. And then um, uh, I uh, I came back to Philly in 2008. Um, yeah. I uh, well, I came back. I moved back to, to Baltimore first because uh, mm-hmm. my my now wife was getting her master's at MICA that was that year and a half there, and uh, uh, so I got a I got a job at the auto bar right away um, through just buddies through the club thing, and yeah. uh, so I moved to Baltimore and was working at the auto bar, and then we eventually came back to Philadelphia, um, and uh, and I tried to get out of working music. I um right when we got married, we we moved to the northeast and burr home and like we weren't I was working construction. Like it was like Oh really? I, yeah, I was trying to get out of it. You know what I You mean? wanted to be totally out of music? Well, I just wanted to try it because I I had like, you know, it was getting over some some drug stuff and like, yeah. it, it, and yeah. I was I was living it up, being great, like not being a fuck up. And uh, uh it it's really funny, a friend from from Texas moved up here and all of a sudden started doing shows and got in some trouble and was like, yo, I need help. Yeah. <laughs> so I took over booking his shows and that's how it all started all over again. You know? <laughs> like right back yeah. to it, you know. So when did Creepoid start up? We started and well, I guess so when I got back in OE, we got married and then we did the G for a minute, which was like mm-hmm. a, this like emo-ish band. Um and the G you know, put out a record, did some touring, and then uh, Creepwood started while that band was still happening, kind of. It was... Uh, yeah, my, you know what? Yeah. I remember that band, The G, because this is a funny story. I was at, uh, I think it was the Mogwai Torch show in like 2006. Hell yeah. And and there's like the sectioned off drinking area, and I just randomly start talking to this dude and we were like getting hammered and like singing along to floor songs because Torch was playing floor songs. And it was Pete from the yeah. G yeah. and Creepoid. Well, Pete Pete was also in the Funeral Bird and Gun of Vom, and he was in Here's oh. Equal Shit for a minute. Like Pete yeah. is Pete is a round meadow kid. <laughs> he went Wait, up from more like, What's his last name? I'll ask my mother about him. <laughs> Pete Pete Urban. He was Peter. a uh, yeah, he was a round meadow kid. Uh so when we met it wasn't until junior high. But uh yeah, totally. Pete and I have been friends since sixth grade. Uh oh wow. Uh, yeah. He he was in all those bands and when I lived in Texas, he also lived in Texas with me. He was down there. Oh really? Yeah, him and I had a band down there with uh one of the dudes from Iron Age called uh Black Power in Vietnam. And uh <laughs> uh <laughs> it just was like we were like an unwound ripoff. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like but uh, yeah, Pete's Pete was uh I'm glad you ran into him there. Yeah, Pete was in the G until he got kicked out for stabbing our singer in the face with a pint glass at Whoa. Kung, at Kung Fu Necktie. Um, wow. You remember that band Robes? Yes. From, I right. booked them uh, once. So yeah. Robes played a record release show at Kung Fu Necktie in like two thousand like eleven maybe or ten. Mm-hmm. No earlier maybe. I don't remember. But either way, uh it was when Kung Fu Necktie, Jamie Getz was running the show and yeah. he's sitting at the main door and I'm up in the green room. And back then you could watch the front door from the video feed. Mm-hmm. And um, I just see Pete smash a glass over another dude's head. 
and I go downstairs oh and I'm like, I'm like, oh man, my band stabbed each other. Cool. And like drove the dude to the ER and it was like, yo, obviously you're not in the band anymore. You stabbed one of us. Like, you know, <laughs> like unfortunately. It's a big no-no, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry, dude. You know? And then how did um, he react to that? He got it. He was cool with it. He knew. He was like, yeah, I fucked up. Uh, but it was like right before this major snowstorm hit Philly and yeah. we were, we were living in Maniunk and, uh, Sean Miller from Creepwood was, was helping us record a new G record and he got snowed in at our place and we had a, a two inch, like real a quarter inch reel to reel. And, uh, him and I sat down that first night and recorded the original Creepwood seven inch that night. And uh, the next day, since Pete had been relieved of his duties of the chi, and he's always been my homie, I called Pete. Was like, "Get your ass down here right now if you want to be in another band with me. Like, like this is this is <laughs> happening now. Like, you gotta drive your car in the snow down here and play some slide guitar, dickhead. Like, right now. Wow. You know. So he uh, he came down and uh, put his part in. You know, and that was the first three point seven inch. <laughs> so that was how you know we we did that. But um. Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, Sean Miller hadn't been in a band for years before that because he uh, he was in Missiles of October like way back mm-hmm. in the day. Like that was his like high school band, and uh, Pete was also in Missiles of October like back then. <laughs> so it's really a a weird thing. Like that whole like I said like our our neighborhoods and Willow Grove and all that stuff. Like that even years later they all stuck together. Like even in, you know what I mean? Like, like like whenever something goes down, it's like, all right, who can I rely on that will be able to play? Like there's like a, a little tiny pool of people from there that we always go to, you know? Like it's it's been that yeah. way for a long you know. But yeah. Yeah. So Creepoid, yeah, you guys you guys were it in Philly. That I, I saw you guys once. I can't remember where exactly, but you know, excellent band. And I remember being at St. Vitus Sometime in, let's see, 2000, I don't know, 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. And I saw you guys were playing a New Year's Eve show with Quicksand. Yeah, that was awesome. And, that dude, was so and much I was fun. Like, I was like, I got fucking, I got to go to this Quicksand, New Year's Eve, Creepoid, St. Vitus. But I was playing, I was in a hardcore band at the time, and we played a gig in Puerto Rico. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> on New Year's Eve, so I was like, yeah. "Oh shit! Well, I got to do that." So yeah, I mean, well, two-part question: How was it playing with Quicksand? And what are some other really memorable gigs that you've played? Um, well, Quicksand is always fun because uh, Walter has been a really good buddy for a long time. Like I met mm-hmm. him, I met him years and years ago, just from being a little shithead, and um, <laughs> uh, he's always been so nice to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's, he's always been really sweet. And like, uh, we met Walter because he started this band, uh, Dead Heavens with, um, yes. Drew Beats or, you know, a bunch of other rad members that I know. But, uh, he, um, we, he had, you know, he has a huge booking agent. Like, you know, I work in the industry. I know who his agent is. So when I get mm-hmm. the email, I'm like, holy shit, why is this guy emailing me? And he was like, you know, Dead Heavens are going on their first tour. They want Creepwood to support them. Uh, you know, all the clubs are the regular, you know, suspects like 930 Club, St. Vitus, all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And we were like, all right, cool. But like, you know, it is kind of weird. Like we're selling out venues. Like you know, we just did our record release show at Music Hall Williamsburg. And you want us to like open. Like we know that, you know, we get it. Walter's like the man. But like, 
Yeah. You know, like we're doing a thing right now. And uh, he was like, no, you don't understand. Like you're supporting, but Walter just wants to split the money down the middle 50 50. He just wants to play shows with you. And we were like, let's do it. So we went, <laughs> we went on a tour with them and had like the best time and became like even closer, you know? That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so when they asked us to do that, it was literally because Walter just wanted to hang out with his buddies on New Year's Eve. Like, you know, wow. like the other members of the band had no idea who we are. It was very apparent. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it, it was like none of them live in New York. Walter is the only one there. Like, you know, so it was like, you know, I, I didn't back then. I didn't see any of those guys going to other shows still. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it, but, uh, it was really funny though. We had a situation at that show. Um, they made a t shirt that is just the poster. So it says, you know, both bands on it and everything. Yeah. And they and they just like showed up with a trash bag and no merch person and they were like, Can you guys help sell these t shirts? But like we were already all on mushrooms, like all of us. And like <laughs> and, and like our merch guy was like tripping his face off and he already had like a system worked out on how he was doing stuff. You know what I yeah. mean? So like yeah. he didn't know how serious they were about these shirts because it came in the trash bag and he was like, Okay, like, you know? Yeah. So uh the end of the night, uh the one, the one member who was kicked out of the band for stealing uh, <laughs> tried to pull some shit on our merch guy and like do a count out. They didn't even do a count in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really? Like, yeah, yeah. And so it goes down and like, dude's freaking out. And like, you know, like I, I'm going to say right now, our merch guy was stony. And like, Stoney yeah. is not having it. Stoney, if anyone of Philly knows who I'm talking about, like he yeah. is not having it. You oh, know yes. what I mean? Like, yes. it's, going, it's going down. So yeah. like uh uh finally Walter comes in and like had to set the record straight. He's like, You need to chill. This is not this is not how it should be tonight. This is not <laughs> how you want to talk to these guys. <laughs> like, this is not how it should be. Like, leave them alone. You made them do this. It's over. All the shirts are gone. Everything's cool. So it was awesome. But like Walter always was there for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's always like the dude. So I could tell the only reason that went down is because of Walter, you know. I I was on tour one time in Cleveland where a guy didn't want to pay us and I watched Stoney walk behind the bar and pick up the tip jar from the bartenders and sit there and went, get your fucking boss. <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and just held their tip jar until they came and had to pay us. You know what I mean? Like, So that's why I was like, oh, it's going down. But uh, but it didn't. So it was cool. But we we played with Quicksand again after that. Um, uh, Lovelorn got to support them. Uh, because of all that, we we all became really cool through it. You know, like, it, we all laugh about it now because it was funny. But that's whatever. awesome. That's yeah. one of my most. That's probably my most memorable gig. We opened for. I was in a band that opened for Rival Schools. Uh, let's see. This was back in 2010, I think. And just you know, just getting to play that, I was like, awesome. I can check that off my list. I played with uh, one of Walter's bands. Dude, I yeah, I got my list, man. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh I, like you said you're asking about uh uh you know some prominent gigs um, yes i think the most fun i had supporting a band was when we got to do a uh, weekend with refused that was uh, that was a lot of fun um yeah. uh we it started in new york and uh i got to like really bust their balls because like you know coming from like the era of bands like frail um and mandela and all that stuff i was like you know, all right. So, am I going to hear stuff off the? Am I going to hear the Slayer? Am I going to hear Hook, Line, and Sinker? Like, am I going to hear like the hits? I want to hear like Fan the Flames and Discontent. 
yeah, you know, all, all the heavy shit, the old stuff. Yeah. And so they changed their set and played it in Brooklyn. Really? And yeah, and it was really funny to be standing in the balcony watching them play hook, line, and sinker, and watching a bunch of forty-year-olds beat the shit out of each other. Like it was, <laughs> it felt really good because I knew they weren't going to play it. And I was like. How are you not going to play this? Like, you know how many record nerds are here that will lose their goddamn minds if you play? You know, that? Yeah. I'm glad you did that because I always liked that first LP better. The, the songs to fan the flames of discontent. I think it's called. It was amazing. Like, yeah, that, that record was incredible, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, uh, refuse. That was cool. And then um, the third night of that tour, I got I got, was busting uh, Dennis, the lead singer's balls backstage. I kept being like. Man, you nervous? He's like, "What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean?" And I was like, "You know, Ian Sfinonius could show up at any point and bust you for stealing his stick, man. Like, we're in his town. <laughs> like, you know, like, it was really, I just kept making fun of him. But like, you know, from years of touring with bands like that, I realized that the more you fuck with them, the more they like you. So it's cool. Like, yeah, you know, like yeah, you know, like we toured it against me. I drank all their Jameson one night, and their their guitar players started freaking out, and I was like. Oh, the rich headliners out of Jameson. Like, just started like <laughs> next with them, and now like we're totally homies. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's cool. Did Did you ever piss someone off joking around, and they just weren't cool with it, and then like that was it? Oh yeah, definitely. Give us a good story. Oh my god. <laughs> well, uh, hold on. Let me. I gotta think real quick on something that isn't gonna get me in trouble. Let's just say. We were on tour with a certain band from Philadelphia that really wanted Creepoid on the tour with them, and we were down. And half the tour, we were direct, and the other half, they had like another band as direct from California. And mm-hmm. um, it was one of the situations where all the bands on the tour are like more pop punk. And yeah, this is when Creepoid was going through our like really droney like drug phase and uh mm-hmm. uh uh it just was like we were just laughing we're like why do these people want us on this tour and like we brought we started bringing extra smoke machines and extra lights just to like fuck places up and then like yeah within a couple of days watch the support band go out and buy the same exact lighting gear and like the same exact like smoke machine like, <laughs> like like i watched them walk around take pictures while we were sound checking one night and they literally had it all a couple days later <laughs> so like i had it and like you know and it was already weird and then sean miller was like he's like that type of funny nerd guy that he can keep making digs at you until you want to beat the shit out of him but like he never yeah. actually said anything really mean to you so like at you would look like a dick if you beat him up. You know what I mean? Like he's like king of that, <laughs> which is why he's a genius. But you know, so like Sean razzed these kids so hard that the one member of the band pulled a knife on Sean backstage. <laughs> and we were in like we we're in like Minneapolis or some bullshit. You know, he pulled a knife on him and like said all this shit. And then like he said it was a joke later. Like it was like he tried to laugh it off. You know, I wasn't there because I didn't know this happened. I would have pissed so like a couple days goes on and we we get to chicago and our van's breaking down shit's going down and uh uh we get to the venue and we play like a really bad set like anna's bass gear breaks and it's just like a rough set Mm -hmm. and um i'm getting off stage and a member of that band goes great set that was an awesome set and i just like look at him and i'm like "Uh uh-huh i go in the green room (laughs) i'm in there and then they start telling me about the knife situation <laughs> for the first time. 
So I'm like, oh, really? So I go out to the stage and I'm standing on the side of the stage and the tour manager comes over. He goes, Pat, what are you doing out here? And I was like, when that guy right there gets to the side of the stage, I'm going to knock him out. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like what? And I was like, that guy right there. And he walks over here off the stage. I'm going to beat him up. And he was like, whoa, you need to go to your green room right now. And starts like freaking out at me and like yelling at me. And I was like, you're next. And like telling him all this shit. I was like, I'm going to get him first. That's why I'm not hitting you. I need to get him. And uh, I, I went to the green room and I'm hanging out and like Evan Weiss is there and like, you know, we're old bandmates and Evan's trying to like, calm me down because we're in Chicago <laughs> and he's like, calm the fuck down. I'm like, no, this is not cool. These little pricks, they like, they have no idea. And uh, uh, the bass player, they get done, the bass player comes to the green room, knocks on the door and he like returns something he was borrowing and I pull him in the room and I'm like, you motherfucker. And I start yelling at him and stuff. And um He's like, he apologizes and he was like, honestly, I didn't watch your set. That was wrong of me to say that to you. I was like, that's right. It is wrong to lie to me, motherfucker. Like all this stuff. And yeah. uh, 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 Anna and I leave the venue and we go out to have dinner. We come back to the venue we're in the front and the headliner's on and this kid comes out and he's like, Pat, man, everyone in my band, they're all mad at me. The whole tour is mad at me right now. They feel like we started World War Three with you guys and all this stuff. And I was like, why? We squashed our shit. Like, why are they still talking about it? And he was just like, he was like, I don't know. I was like, you want to fuck with them? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, go backstage. And when the tour manager tries to talk to you about this, tell him I showed you my gun and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and mind you, we had just come from Canada like, like a couple days before that. So like, there's no way I have a gun. And like, yeah. and I, and I, and I don't own a gun anyway. So I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, go there. And so Anna and I are backstage and we hear him talking to the guy. And the guy's like, are you cool with them and all that shit? And he's like, oh, I'm cool with them. I won't fuck with them. He's like, they took me out of that van. You know what they got in that van? They got all these guns. And the tour manager just loses his shit. <laughs> they wanted to search my van, like all this stuff. And I was like, we are messing with you. Like, that's what you get putting your nose in people's shit. Like, we had some stuff. Everything's cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you need to back up. Like, so we've had a lot of that, like my yeah. fucking bands. Yeah. You know what I mean? But um, um, there hasn't really been too many just straight up denials. You know what I mean? It's been more like young kid, like idiots. You know? Yeah. And honestly, it's it's always been really positive. Like, I don't know. We're fun. Like, we're not trying to do crazy shit. We don't want to like get into the trouble part like that yeah it's more like you know like that was when we toured with against me that was like we did three tours with them and it's just because like we became instant buds like we we like just we didn't bother them we did our own stuff like at that point creepboard already had a following in most towns so we were just doing yeah. our own thing you know what i mean so it was like uh it's really cool like um but yeah i uh i did uh we played at dinosaur junior in New York one time and, and oh. I got I got banned from the club. Um, <laughs> uh, Which club? Music Hall of Williamsburg. Oh, um, sh you're banned from there? No, well, so check it out. We Creepweight played with them and it was like a Converse event, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so they, they told us we had to wear the Converse shoes on stage. Yeah. So uh, I'm wearing these Converse and not my normal sneakers and when Dinosaur Jr. was playing... Uh, we had just signed a contract with Collect, like right around then. So, mm -hmm. like, so like, I'm pounding this bottle of Jameson upstairs with like 
Jeff Rickley and all the record label guys. And I'm just like, whoa, this is sick. So Dicer Jr. starts and I'm just doing flips. I'm stage diving. I'm fucking shit up, like having a great time. And I yeah. knock myself out stage diving. Um, <laughs> uh, totally knocked myself out. Uh, uh, was in an ambulance out front. Don't remember any of this. Uh, uh, yeah, I knocked myself out cold, got put outside, and then they came to, and like my wife's out there yelling. And like, I remember Sean Miller from Creep Floyd, the, the club owner was trying to get me to sign something, and he was like, Don't do it. He's like yelling from the club, from the door of the ambulance. So I like, yeah, I didn't sign it. And then they told me we're all banned, and I'm like still walking in and out of the club, like, Fuck you, like all this shit. And uh, we loaded our gear out, and then I got in an argument with them because I said they stole my sneakers. And the, the whole reason I fell was because these horrible Converse, <laughs> 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 which is really funny what argument to try to have after you've already been in an ambulance and kicked out of the club. Um, but uh, we, we headlined six, six months later, we headlined there. Oh wow! Yeah, it's really cool. So when we headlined there uh, for our record release show, I um, I said on the mic, I was like, "Hey, it's really awesome to be here. I've been banned from this club for six months. It's cool to be back." <laughs> 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 it was really funny, but yeah, um, it's always just been wars against clubs. Never really like bands, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. So yeah. why did Creepoid end? Uh, we did, we did uh, nine years of touring and, Mm -hmm. uh, we hit it pretty hard. And, uh, uh, some of the members were just like ready to start that other part of their life where they have families and, you know, all that fun stuff. But, uh, no, Anna and I were, that's not our style. Like I'm, I'm already a child. There's no way I could raise a kid. Like it would be like (laughs) so fucked up. And plus like, like I watched both of my little brothers have multiple children. Mm-hmm. And like, I watch my one brother's three boys and how they are. And I'm like, holy shit. And that's, they're his. Like, think yeah. about mine. That would be Yeah, fun. I could never like, do it. I have nieces and nephews and I, I, I physically and mentally would be incapable of doing it. I just yo, wouldn't be able to. Yeah, think about this. Think, this. think about this brain fuck. All right. My parents tried to take my nephews down to the Wanamaker's lights thing last year. Yeah. And the little fucker just straight up in his bubble jacket slips between the train and the platform and is <laughs> underneath of the fucking tracks. What? And, my dad, and my dad scream at Marketing Station and my dad screaming at him, don't you fucking touch anything. Don't you fucking like why he's like, he's like a five year old, like slipped right between the tracks. Like, like I couldn't deal with that shit. Holy like, shit. Like, yeah. Uh, like, it's not all falling in the train tracks. Sometimes dude, it's fun shit sometimes i like uh, i think it, like that's one of those things with like i never thought when i was younger i was like oh i'm never gonna have kids i'm never gonna have kids and then as i got older and i started teaching i was like all right i could kind of see it a little bit more and now that i have my daughters like they're so much fucking fun like i i <laughs> built uh that uh like grind box with them the other day like a bench to skate like out front and it was like they were so amped on it. And I, I like in the middle of building it, I'm like, you know, you guys can't even Ollie. Like you can't fucking skate this. <laughs> and like, Evie just looked at me and she was like, I know. And I was like, so then why are you excited? She's like, uh, you're letting us play with the drill. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Fucking <laughs> <hate>. <laughs> so you nailed, it, you nailed it there with the girls. Now, yeah. 
if you had three boys that were uh, exactly like boys, it would be fucking this quiet at my house right now <laughs> that's what i'm talking about you know what i mean like i literally in the like, past I, couple weeks multiple friends multiple friends of mine who have young young children have told me never have children and i was like no problem no Dude, problem i i took my oldest nephew to his first show this year and it was uh uh How old the, is he? he's 11 okay and I, I took him to see the misfits and uh uh tropic murphy's and agnostic front down at the uh uh core state center or whatever it is down there um, yeah I, it was his first show ever and I took him backstage and he got to meet Vinny Stigma and he got to meet like all the dudes and stuff. It was just wow. so funny because he's like, a, he's a comic book nerd, like straight yeah. up. He'll tell you everything. So like, and he didn't know anything about punk because his dad is like straight up, like listens to like, you know, 50 cent and shit. And, uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, his mind was blown. He was like, whoa, these guys are like real, real life comic books. And I was like, yeah. And you got to meet this guy, Vinny. Wait to hear his voice. I'm stoked. Yeah. But like, like, you know, it, was aw- it was a really good time. But yeah, I mean, that's the cool stuff about being the fun uncle is that I don't have to deal about his wild ass brothers, but I can be like, you're 11. I'm going to start taking you to hardcore shows. You know what I mean? Like, so it's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So Creepoid is done, right? How, yeah. how, uh, did you have immediate plans to start up another band or did, did you want to take some time or what, how did, what went down? I had already been writing music, like electronic bass music on my own, like yeah. at the, at the end. And then it kind of opened the gate a little bit more. And, um, so like Lovelorn was kind of like an immediate thing. Like we, we were already rehearsing before the last Creepoid show. Okay. Uh, but the last Creepwood show took a full year to happen from when we played together to when it happened, you know? Yeah. Like, we had to take a break. It was worth it. I mean, the last Creepwood show was, like, one of the craziest shows I ever played in my life. <laughs> like, it was uh, it was sold out at uh, uh, Union Transfer. Yeah. And we had uh, Night Sins and Albatross and Mannequin Pussy were all the opening bands. And uh, it was just, like, I got to have a huge party with all my friends at Union Transfer. Like, that's, that's awesome. awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And then uh, we had an after party at an undisclosed bar in Fishtown uh, that didn't start till 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it went till like 5 or 6. And uh, I won $350 in dice that night. It was an incredible <laughs> night all around. Like <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, it was like talking to you really makes me miss the nightlife. I got to tell you. <laughs> I, 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 this is my question. And with Lovelorn, one of the, the things I always like, I gravitated towards when I first saw it. Who does? Who did the graffiti logo? Like that you guys right. hang on the banner. So the banner was tagged by a dude who writes snore snore okay yeah yeah he's uh, a a local dude he uh he works at ort leaves <laughs> okay but uh he's he's got a really great hand i love his stuff but uh i mean honestly the it's always been different like like the but the bat the original backdrop he he painted that okay. <laughs> yeah as soon as i saw it i was like i gotta ask because like i i mean i i i loosely follow graffiti stuff like i i try to write when i was younger but like yeah now i like i look at it and i'm like oh like when i see something like that i'm like i like that like that's the but, cool thing go ahead yeah. i'm sorry no i mean that's a standard that's a philly thing right there 
You know what I mean? If you read it, you look at it and you go, oh, they're from Philly. Yeah. That's why it's funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's not like a New York bubble letter at all. Like, oh, you no, look at no. it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I tried to explain that to some people, like, when I first had it made, like, some dudes who were like, why would you make a graffiti backdrop for you guys? I'm like, you don't understand. This is a statement, like, right out the gate. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so, it's, yeah. like it's like, it's, there's so many things that when I see it, like the, like that wicket style or like, you know, the tall hand shit like that people do. And I immediately go, there's some people that write and I go, and as soon as I see it, I go, they're Philly. Like those are, they're like that, that Philly flat top where it all comes to that big point at the top. Like there's a dude that writes Rame, R-A-M-E. It's his fucking hand is so, it, the flow is so cool. And just like to, like he posts a lot of stuff on Instagram of just, I watch him like write. And you know how, like when you, if you let the video play, it plays over and over again. Like I'll watch it like five, six, seven times in a row. And I, each time I'm watching it, I notice something different. And I'm like, God damn, these dudes are fucking geniuses. Like they've been doing this stuff since they were fucking like little kids. And now they're like, you know, 35, 40, 50 years old, still fucking rocking it. And they just get better at it. It's so cool to see that. But when I saw that banner in the a couple of the first Instagram posts, I was like, fuck yeah, dude. I was like, immediately. Oh, yeah. like, I don't even, I haven't heard the band yet. I'm already fucking in. I like the logo. <laughs> well, like, uh, I started writing when I was like, oh, probably like 16. And then I stopped and I stopped when I was like 20, when I first moved to Austin. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, when I was like 24, I started writing again down in Austin. And then uh, I have, uh, I've been off and on since then. Like, I just went painting last night. Like I still go painting. Like, like it's, it's, it's something that doesn't really get out of you sometimes after you, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. I don't know. It's like playing shows, but you kind of just like, it's, it's part of your, your thing. And it's, you know, um, I totally understand what you're saying. And I feel like, uh, that that's one of the things that I love about Philadelphia <laughs> and like even in Texas that's what I used to always try to like I think that's why I started again like writing again was to have that like I know this is in me and this is how I do it like yeah. I don't have to look at anyone else's shit you know what I mean like so it's uh it's it's definitely a style that that not a lot of people can understand or they get but like yeah. uh when they do it's addictive and then like like, when people are into it like they're full on like i can like because there's people that i've i've dealt with in the past where like we'll start talking about something and like i'll see them write something down and i'll see the way they make their a or the c the way they make their e and i'm like do you write and they're like like they're always usually a little skeptical they'll kind of like take that like they (laughs) let me me ask you a question since do you watch jeopardy yeah that dude Brad definitely has a hand. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've, dude, he was. Um, there's somebody. There was another guy. Oh fuck. No, but you know what I'm talking about the the champions season, and he yeah. put he puts that Brad up. It looks like it says Bard when he does the R and the A. And I was like, oh man. And then he talks about he's from Philadelphia. I was like, this guy used to write. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Brad Rudder. Yeah, Brad, Rudd, Brad yeah. Rudder. Yeah, he's like an ultimate champion, and you watch yeah. him put his thing up, and it's crazy. Yeah, that dude's. Yeah, so he was when they did the ones with like, uh, remember that dude that was like the gambler dude that was yeah. like killing that's it what I mean. Yeah, him, he threw the hand up on there, 
Yes, him and Ken Jennings. Yeah, they did all three of them and they had like a multiple day tournament. But yeah, you could see there's a couple, there's another dude that was on there before where he made his E and it was like his E looked like a, like a, uh, a like an elongated, it looked like somebody took a zero and like stretched it out <laughs> and then like divided it in half. And I was like, that's a fucking E out of a graffiti writer. I was like, that oh, yeah. fucking dude does graffiti for real. It's fucking well, sick that- when you see that. E's and N's is where you can really see it. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I tried to, it's kind of like, I have this whole thing like, all right, here you go. Here's some Philly shit that I honestly, a lot of people don't know that, you know, I've been, I actually had it pointed out to me by Don DeVore like a couple years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so Sean McCabe from Ink and Dagger and Credit as a Cult, he, his graffiti hand was zero. Like uh, uh, Syro, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just wild to me that like a couple years after he died, his favorite band of all time and the only tattoo he had on his shoulder, Aphex Twin, put out a record called Zero, and it's a made up word. It doesn't actually like mean yeah. anything, you know. Well, that's kind of creepy, that's right? Crazy, yeah, yeah. I'm just really saying. Crazy. Yeah, like Sean's shoulder tattoo was the Aphex Twin logo. But so what, what I was getting at is the whole reason I, I had that talk with Don is Don um, produced the upcoming uh, Lovelorn LP. So I spent the last two years with Don and Anna just working on this LP. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I got to hear a lot of little wild Ink and Dagger stories and stuff like that from the man, you know, and that was yeah. one that just literally blew my mind and like the graffiti world connecting with electronic world and the hardcore world and everything that is in philadelphia yeah sean was into uh djing and stuff uh, later wasn't he yeah i mean he was always into the idea of some type of party like you know like uh, yeah i I mean honestly like he was a huge influence on me when i was a kid you know me too i became absolutely obsessed with ink and dagger around when i was 20 21 years old and sean and just the band and their whole attitude had a big impact on my younger years and i still love them today and and if i were in your position i'd be picking don's brain i'd be like come on come on give me another story give me another story to the point where i I could talk to you about ink and dagger for hours like um yes I actually have a bunch of framed pieces. Like Don has a huge case of like archives, and he's given me a bunch of things. And um, wow, I'm uh, I'm definitely like I was. They were like my thing. Like, even Crud as a cult, like everything that that Sean was saying, like really spoke to me. You know? What yes, I mean? Ev- but, he but, just like, has a way with words, like to the point where I even like looked at old message boards of shit he posted oh my and god just, yeah just like yeah. he he just had a real way with words like he was also complete. like the best prank phone caller of all time so <laughs> yeah <laughs> didn't they put oh them god. on the on the crud or they oh they think they had them on the mandela seven inch and i maybe oh, have on, on the, one of the crud there's CDs. like cassettes yeah there's like cassettes made of that stuff i mean the 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 best the, I'll tell you one that stuck out to me that is the funniest shit that is definitely to our area, you know, because there's a lot of them, but like the yeah. one that's been passed on was uh, down the shore. I don't, I don't know what shore town exactly it was. I'm pretty sure it was Wildwood, but either way, there was two competing pizza shops on the boardwalk, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he, like, right in the beginning of the summer, started calling the one pizza shop. <laughs> And fucking with them and telling them they're losers and just trying to get a camaraderie of like I'm from the other shop you guys suck like all this stuff <laughs> and that and it 
like all summer, he kept fucking with this guy who worked at the pizza shop. And then finally, he called him one day and was like, yo, man, we're in a lot of trouble. We need as much cheese as you got. We're out of cheese. Like, like I'll meet you halfway down the boardwalk, like all this stuff. And <laughs> Sean went and bought a t-shirt from the competing pizza shop he was pretending he worked for. <laughs> so he's wearing this t-shirt <laughs> and he met the dude halfway down the boardwalk. And he's like, I'll get, I'll get the money to you at the end of the day, all this stuff. And got like a couple pounds of cheese and then got home and then prank called him was like, I stole your cheese, motherfuckers. And just like <laughs> had all this cheese and stuff. Like, like that was his, he would, he was into like a long, long, elaborate, elaborate fucking with people pranks that would take Holy like shit. long time to pan out. You know what I mean? Like, like he would set up this prank like months in advance and know that it would take like a couple months to execute. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's like some Andy Kaufman shit, dude. Like where you fucking like plan that out and then like who's in on the joke except for you? Like that's dude, Yeah, that, that it, imagine genius. investing all that time and energy. It's like crazy. Oh man, we it, that's what it was all about though. Like those things like when I was a kid, man, they they just got us fired up. Like funeral bird and here's a good shit just fucked with people because of shit like that. You know, like I remember Bob Meadows booked us at a show in Jersey with like daughters and all these other bands and it was right mm-hmm. around when the SARS outbreak happened mm-hmm. and uh and I remember when we when we called and canceled and recorded it and put it on Centerview's canceling saying that half the members of Funeral Bird had SARS and like <laughs> and then watched the thread of all these kids talking about how we all have STDs and stuff and that's why we got SARS first and that we're all going to die and all this. and we just sat there laughing our asses off reading this like not going to the show like that was funny as shit to us you know what i mean and like like out of that we ended up we booked a tour with daughters and we knew we were never going on the tour and the whole thing was to just be on every flyer in the u.s and that was it <laughs> and we just didn't go and like and it didn't matter like because we still had hype and funeral bird was like flipping dumb shit online because of the hype even though like we knew we weren't going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's, that's amazing. What, yeah, that's what's all about. Like, like Sean and and Don and those guys were like a huge influence on us. You know? Uh, oh, me too. Me too. I, I, you know, I never had it in me to to raise anywhere near the amount of hell that they did, but just. Just with like not giving a fuck and just partying as hard as possible, and oh, yeah. you know, it was just yeah. they were just a huge, huge influence on me. So how how was it recording with Don? Uh, it was um, it was awesome. It was awesome. It's also like, you know, uh, it's like being in the studio with like a like a like a mad scientist or something. Like we, he pretty much just does everything ass backwards. So, like, the best way I could describe it, all right, is, like, you know, without getting into, like, details, is um, um, he he handles the way he mixes and records completely different than most people. Like, everything is on 10 at all times. Mm -hmm. um, And then they're just kind of muted or they're not muted. And Mm -hmm. that's just like... And that's, like, just to, you know, cut through the bullshit. But uh, I guess the best way to say it is, like, he's the type of, like, like, artist that he'll take... Instead of like five pieces of tape and putting them on a canvas and then putting a couple colors and then pulling away the tape so that you see them in perfect lines, yeah. he'll like take those five pieces of tape and rip them up into like a million little pieces and stick yeah. them all over it and paint everything all over it and then peel piece by piece as he feels fit 
So like you don't actually know when it's the good good yeah. until you've hit it and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like it's very uh uh teasing in ways, but at the same time, like uh I learned so much from the dude that I would never, you know, I would never be able to learn with anybody else. So like I kind of give that to him. You know what I mean? Like it was uh, especially, you know, he's a guitar player, I'm not. But at the end of the day, we're both punks that like like to make art. So it really worked out like that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, That's awesome. But, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. One of one of the two tattoos I have is uh, is the uh, ink and dagger bat. So. Oh, dude. So uh, I'll, I'll give you one really funny story from that recording session. Yeah. Anna, Anna and I got a call and Don was like, come out to L.A. Uh I have studio time and I want to finish the record. So Anna and I flew out to LA and we went to this space and it, it actually wasn't like a real recording studio. It was like a, a third floor of a strip mall in the fashion district. That <laughs> 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 gated door, like glass walls type thing. Yeah. And Don had built an engineering booth in there and like covered it in a huge like TP and tent inside mm-hmm. of this like drop ceiling room, you know? Yeah. So Anna and I are there. We're working on the record. We already tracked it in New York and Philly, and we're like out in LA mixing. And uh, uh, <laughs> it's like 10 o'clock. I order a pizza. I go to leave to go get it, and we are gated in the building. They completely shut us in the building. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm on like the balcony, like overlooking the like air, but we're like locked in this building. And yeah. Don, Don earlier was telling me that there was like tunnel people that lived underneath of the building in the parking garage and all the parking garages on each corner are connected by these tunnels. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm like, fuck this. I'm hungry. Like, no way I'm dealing with this. So I went down and found a basement door and started like beating the shit out of it. And then like went upstairs, was all annoyed. And Anna had left and went like the other way. Mm-hmm. And here while I was gone, a dude came out of the basement. He heard me banging on it and like talked to Anna and we met up and like here he like is down there and we're like, all right, dude, like we just want to get food real quick. And like, can you let us back in? And like, can we get out like later? Like we're in the studio, like we flew into town. Like I was trying to explain it to him. He didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. And like, uh, finally he's like, yeah, Sure. So we follow them down to the basement where they have all these dogs on chains and stuff. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and we go through the garage and we get let out in the alley and all that shit. And I get Don and Don's like, wait, you like talk to the tunnel people? I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> and like, uh, we go down there and they took us through the tunnels and we came out and went out in the alley and the alleys down there are like gated at night. Yeah. And we cross the alley. And then he's banging on this door of the next building and then a dude answers it and lets us in and we go through a whole nother tunnel process and come out and get out on the street and we're able to leave. <laughs> that is like, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so like we get back to like the Airbnb where like the other members of Don's current band are staying and Don went to his girlfriend's house and they're like, so what happened? And we told him what happened and they were like, so you guys out Don, Don. we're like we're like yeah they're like he would just stay there overnight when that happened and we're like fuck that like we have a bed here like i'm not sleeping on the floor that shit (laughs) it's so funny but yeah uh lots of really wild shit making this record and like it's it's super funny because like you know like uh the 22nd and a couple days from now um we're releasing this ep 
and mm-hmm. it's and it's still not that record. Like oh really? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh we were on tour when coronavirus hit. We were on a three month. I was on a three month tour. I was out with Black Marks, and then I crossed right into Love Lauren. Yeah, and uh, we got shut down, and had to drive thirty hours straight back to Philly from uh, Houston. Mm-hmm. And cancel a month of touring that was left. Oh man! Uh, yeah, so I sat down and recorded this EP, and uh, we sent it to the label just to be like, "Yo, I know we're in a contract, so like, I'm gonna do something with this." And then they were like, "No, we're gonna rush this out like right away." So uh, it's coming out on Friday with like a music video and like all this other stuff. But um, uh, the Don album should be out in like September, October. So Sick. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we're all, so we, we're all set up for a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. So we have the Love Lorne EP to look forward to. We have the LP in September. We've got mm-hmm. a Plaque Marks LP coming eventually, oh, yeah. right? Uh it's done. We're we're yeah. uh we've we've been undergoing wild negotiations. How's it looking? <laughs> uh Jell Afra asked us to send it to him, and we've mm-hmm. glitter bombed him three times in a row now. So I don't know <laughs> if alternative tentacles is going to put it out uh but um we do uh there's a label over in uh france that does like bongzilla and a bunch of other stuff and they're uh they're hooked up with ecstatic vision um Mm -hmm. and uh, it looks like they're gonna do our euro uh release so honestly we might only release it in france and try to do a european tour out of it because like fuck america you know (laughs) yeah yeah, <laughs> you go where you go where the action is. I mean, I mean, it. it rocks over there. Like over yeah. here, everyone's bored. Like plus, yeah. like we could double up. Like Black Marks plays a show, and then like Doug and I can go do some wild all night DJ set. Like that's what's yeah. up. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I have a question for you now. Now it sounds like you've had some struggles over the years in moving to various cities, like with partying and whatnot. Some <laughs> some similar struggles that I've had now. How how do you main how do you maintain? Because I when whatever combination of anything I tried, I'd always end up almost dead or broke or homeless or you know, it just always would end up really bad. But I, I've I've been around you, I've hung out with you, you drink, you yeah. smoke, you seem like yeah. you're having a good time. How do you not end up back on the real dark side of things? Um honestly, if it really, <laughs> it's so funny saying this, but if it wasn't for my wife being there for me all the time, like I yeah. would probably be a total like mess, you know? Oh, but, so uh, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Like when we got together, uh, I, it's not even like she ever asked me to not do that stuff. It was just yeah. more like, I just, it, it didn't, it didn't fit what I was going for anymore. You know what Pat, I mean? How, Pat, how long have yeah. you been married? Uh, we were married 10 years this year. Congratulations, brother! That's fucking thanks, amazing. thanks. Fucking yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, uh, it's funny. Uh, we Anna's the one who says it all the time in like interviews and stuff. She's like, we've been married ten years, but like, you know, we've been touring nine of those years. So it's like we've been married like twenty years. Like, <laughs> there's no like break. Yeah. Like we're together. Like the only time we're not together is when I'm on tour with Black Marks, and that happens once every two years. <laughs> yeah. like, so. And with Love, Lauren, it has to be cool. It's just the two of you. You're married. You're out yeah. on tour together. There's not money to split four or five ways, right? Yeah, it'd be simpler. Yeah. No, it, it really is. I mean, I could have never done this before. Like I'm, I'm constantly learning like how to to make more art. You know, 
Yeah. And like, uh, that's why I love that story you were saying about JD earlier with the capo and stuff. Like, yeah. I think that's great. Like, that is totally up my alley. Like, I'm a drummer that would do stuff like that. And the guys would be like, what the fuck? But like, <laughs> yeah. I also the whole time was paying attention to tone. And it was the one that would be like, oh, no, you need the Russian big muff, dude, to hit that thing we want to hit. Like, like, even though I'm not a guitar player at all. You know yeah. what I yeah. mean? Like, but like now with the way I make music and the way I DJ and stuff, it's like all that stuff now comes down to this. You it's, know? Of, it's all these things that you never thought would work together, but all of a sudden you're pulling from so many different places and it all fucking works. Like, yeah. it, it, it's crazy though. Cause like, uh, I, I think back on those times, like when, like going back to that JD thing, like he was like, so excited to show it to me. And I was like, okay. And I remember like watching him play it and I'm like, all right, like, because it was just like bits and pieces of a song that he had just like, he's like, don't worry. And I remember him pointing at like the side of his temple and he was like, don't worry, it's all up here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so glad you're smart because if you were anybody else, I would be like, fuck you, dude, you're not doing this song. <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I love that. Like, honestly, like, e- even, you know, the whole time in Creepwood, you know, recording was the whole point for us like yeah. Sean and I would have these ideas on how to do albums and like we we executed them you know what i mean like like our our first full length horse heaven we tracked all of the drums in our basement in Maniunk before we even met a producer and when a producer came to us and was like i want to do your album we're like cool the drums are done <laughs> and he was like what do you mean and we're like these are the drums and he's like whoa and we're like all right here's the deal you're going to listen to One Foot in the Grave by Beck for a month, and then we're going to get together, and then we're going to record this fucking album. But you know what I mean? Like, So it, it was like, stuff like that is what it's all about. You know what I mean? Like, textures and everything. And like, even in punk, like, you know, with plaque marks, like, we did our new album in one day in the studio. And we don't rehearse. Like, we just like have like a Dropbox we share where we write songs and stuff. And mm-hmm. like, it's literally like been the easiest band I've ever been in because it's like, they're all professionals. Like everybody yeah, involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like that makes it so much cooler. Like we went in the studio for one day. We showed up. I put a bunch of weird triggers on shit and some mics and some weird spots. We did our stuff. That was it. Doug mixed it. It's fucking done. It sounds great. At the end of the day, we were like, is it done? Because we were questioning ourselves. And then we sent it to Tim Green, you know, Nation Ulysses and the fucking champs out there. And he he remixed it and it's finished. Like it's sick. <laughs> but but like recording is the most fun like, that's the best part you know that that is what it's all about absolutely that's that's my favorite part of the whole thing recording yeah. the album hearing everything that's been kicking around your in your head coming to life and then of course eventually releasing it oh hell yeah hell yeah, yeah. Well, Pat, this was awesome. I have to say, you've you've really you've really <laughs> given us some explosive content, and uh, we thank you for that. It's gonna be fun as shit, dude. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> when everything's like all settled down and fucking life is back to like semi-normal, I gotta fucking come down in the city and hang, dude. Uh, anytime. And uh, when everything's back to normal, you guys let me know, and uh, I'll pull up some old cats from the past that you wouldn't be able to dig up and bring them in. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pat, thank you again. And folks, we're going to listen to the Lovelorn EP when that drops in a week. We're going to yeah. listen to the Lovelorn LP when that comes out in September. And whenever the Plaque Marks LP comes out, we're going to listen to that too. Right. Yeah, so May, May 22nd, Lovelorn. 
So, Pat, thank you. And as a reminder to everybody, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the NE Scene. Continue to write us at northeastscene at gmail.com and send us your ticket stubs and your flyers and your show videos and your stories and all that stuff. And subscribe to us on your podcast medium of choice. Like, comment, share, review, all that good stuff. A little bit goes a long way. Thanks, everybody. And until next time.